This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Instructional Design and Technology Program at Emporia State University. The IDT program at ESU prepares individuals for leadership in the design, development, and integration of technology into K-12 as well as private sector teaching and other areas of organizational training. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast a weekly look at the future of education. I'm Emily Tate, a reporter here. We often hear how important it is to protect the privacy of student data, but the consequences can seem pretty abstract. When kids and adults alike are downloading a new app or creating an online account, we tend to click I agree and allow without giving it a second thought. After all, we ask ourselves, what's the worst that could happen? In Louisiana, educators don't have that luxury. According to a student data privacy law that was passed there a few years ago, anyone who collects or shares students' personally identifiable information can be punished by up to six months in prison or $10,000 in fines. That certainly raised the stakes on an issue that, until then, people hadn't been taking very seriously. But it also led to an environment where educators, schools, and districts became so afraid of breaking the law that they curtailed their collection and use of all kinds of data, from batting averages and touchdown stats at school sporting events to students of the month and honor rolls hanging in the hallways. When the possibility of a mistake meant steep fines and prison time, many teachers naturally decided it wasn't worth the risk. Then Kim Neesmith got involved. Neesmith is the Director of Data Governance, Privacy, and EdTech for the Louisiana Department of Education. And this week, she's on the EdSurge On Air podcast to talk about the strictest student data privacy law in the country and what it takes to help Louisiana educators face their fears and offer technology services to students and families in spite of that law. It isn't always easy, and it requires some real creativity. But one good thing that's come from the law, Neesmith says, is that in Louisiana, there's no mistaking the importance of student data privacy. Not anymore. Here she is. Anybody working in student privacy today has a difficult role, but yours at the Louisiana Department of Education is especially challenging thanks to the privacy law that was passed there in 2014, I believe. Um, Can you tell us about that law and what makes it somewhat unique? Sure. Um, We are not allowed to collect personally identifiable information at the department. So that makes the job of the department incredibly difficult because you don't have that PII. Additionally, um, our law, and I'm fairly sure of this, is the only law with criminal penalties for violation. So six months in jail or $10,000 for, and they're personal penalties too, so right, so a teacher is at risk, Um, I'm at risk, anybody that might release the data in a way that is not uh, aligned with the law could be prosecuted. So that makes it a little tough. Yeah, how has that made your job difficult? Well, you know, it's it's tough because the, it's scary, right? So people are afraid and, um, you know, and I hate that. But the good side of it is um, it's caused people to be aware of student privacy. So I'm not out there trying to convince people how important student privacy is anymore. The law has made it important. And so that's a good thing. Um, But the difficult side of it is that people are afraid and people are scared. And and 
and it's a challenging situation, right? The 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 consequences are what makes it um, scary. The thing that makes it most challenging, I think, is the fact that the department isn't able to have PII because when you think about all the things that you do for districts, it's in, it's strictly it, it is totally limited. So to the point of putting children's names on their test booklets prior to the kid taking the test, that's an incredibly difficult job for us now because we aren't allowed to have PII. So how do you make sure that Johnny gets Johnny's test and then Johnny gets Johnny's score and then Johnny's teacher, you know, for value added, her is associated with her. And so it's, it's a little challenging there. Is there a lot of conversation or um, you know, pushback in the state about it being so strict that it, you know, it kind of ties educators' hands and what they're able to do in ways that can be beneficial to students? I, I think there are people that feel that way, and uh, I think that it it is challenging for educators. But I think the the reason the law came about is because parents had a real fear of what was happening with their children's data, and it was a very real fear for them. Um, they were afraid um, of what researchers might be doing with the kids' data. They were afraid of where we might share the data. Um, and so they have this very real fear, and so you have to balance the two, right? You have to figure out how you can allow teachers to do what they do best and be enabled and, and accelerate the work with technology and at the same time work within the law. And so that's the challenging part, is to find that framework and to, and to get everybody educated and come up with the structure that allows us to go ahead and move forward and still do our work while also keeping an eye on making sure we're taking care of kids' data. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine that you're working with schools and districts pretty closely on this. How do you help them navigate the law um, and not be afraid of technology? Because I can see it being like an either or. Either we, uh, you know, follow the law or we take this big risk and introduce technology that in a lot of cases is going to collect some student data. Mm-hmm. So, in the beginning, um, I think people definitely probably felt like it was an either-or and kind of steered clear of it. But as we went forward, um, what we did is we worked out ways to make it happen, right? So, what we did is we, um, the first thing we did was we, I developed a data governance and privacy um, guidebook, and that outlined... Um, how you develop a team, how you can get people on board, how, you know, here are some things about security. And it outlined all the laws because what happens is our, our teachers aren't necessarily aware of the federal laws even that guard students' data. So we wanted, I felt like it was a really unfair place for them to be in, is to not know laws that were applicable to the things that they were doing. And so, so the guidebook that we developed was about helping them understand here are the different laws, here are the things that are applicable to you, and here here's the way to keep data secure and private and protect kids. But then what we did after that, after we developed the book, is Louisiana is blessed with this structure of training districts. And so um, every quarter, uh, dis- department people go out and 
go to the different regions of the state and actually train. So there's this great forum that was already existing that I was able to just step into and leverage. So we went through and we trained on that guidebook. We also went through there, and one of the things that you're supposed to do is develop policies. So we talked through with districts and let them talk with each other, okay, what kind of policy can we put in place that's going to protect teachers but also show them the path to being able to use technology? And so letting those district leaders talk it out and come up with good solutions on their own um, and work through that, uh, I think that was probably the most valuable thing that we did is you know, the guidebook was there as kind of a structure and a framework, and then we started talking about it. And so we came up with some different ways to be able to utilize the technology, but also um, not necessarily give students information. So we either are going to have a data sharing agreement with that company on how they're going to protect kids' information, and that way the district can share that information if they need to, or we could possibly get parental consent to use a piece of technology if we think it's safe, get parental consent. And then the third option we came up with was somehow de-identify the kids' information. So they pick their favorite superhero, or they um, use their initials, or they use some something that identifies them as them in the software but does not give away any of their personal identifiable information. So those were the three ways we chose to handle using technology in the classroom, but also protecting kids' privacy. And what would determine you know, which of those three options a classroom might pursue? Is that up to the teacher's discretion? Right. So some districts um, really are careful about how they're interpreting the law. Um, they um, know that they have a strong constituent of parents who had these real concerns, and so they are, they know their parents. And so when their parents feel that strongly, then they're gonna choose the most conservative method possible, and that district is going to say, hey y'all, this is how we wanna do it, and to protect you, this is how we're gonna move forward. And so that was one of the things, right? Like in the data governance guidebook, when we talk about policies and we went around during that section when we were training on that, um, developing policies, one of the things we recommended is you've got to have an online policy for your teachers. You've got to have an online tools policy. You have to be able to guide that teacher through it. They are going to use technology because they want to leverage it and they're just going to. And so the best method for a district is to figure out how they can help that teacher do it. And so I strongly encouraged that they didn't prohibit anything, but they said that but that they set the tone of come talk to me about it and we'll figure it out. And um, so in some districts, if we set up this policy, this online policy of maybe it's that when something's purchased, it has to come by that uh, person re responsible for privacy by their desk and they had to see it. Or maybe they did trainings with the teachers and they said, here are all the software that, that we have picked out, that we have agreements with, that we feel are safe. So if you want something that's kind of quizzing, here's the software that kind of gives you a quiz. If you want something that kind of allows you collaboration, here's one that we have approved. And then like I said, the big deal was um, if a teacher is interested, give them that pathway to come talk to you. Um, so the districts made those decisions, right? And in some softwares that they wanted to use, they weren't able to get a data sharing agreement with that company. So it basically was 
If you guys use this one, let's anonymize the kids' information. If you use this one, we've got a data sharing agreement, it's okay. And so they worked that out within each district for what worked best for them. We'll be right back after a brief message from our sponsor. Are you interested in creating an innovative, technology-driven classroom where your students can thrive? Emporia State University's Instructional Design and Technology Master's Program can help you do just that. The IDT program is available entirely online, so you can complete the coursework from the comfort of your own home, and it is now offered in an accelerated format. If enrolled full-time, you can complete the degree in as little as a year. Given the diverse career tracks in instructional design, multimedia, and technology, this program offers students the flexibility to customize their course of study based on individual goals and interests. Graduates of the program are well-prepared to practice their unique multidisciplinary profession in a variety of settings, including business, K-12 schools, higher education, government and military, or to pursue doctoral studies. Learn more at emporia.edu grad. That address once more is emporia.edu grad. And would you say that the companies that have come on board with Louisiana districts have had to be pretty flexible and you know nimble in what they're able to accommodate, or is it not that big of a lift on their end? You know, to be honest, when the department is providing a service to districts, what we did is we developed a data sharing agreement with that entity and we established a a third-party stipulation in the agreement which allowed districts to opt into that agreement unilaterally by signing one little piece of paper. And so for those, I negotiated those MOUs with those companies and worked with some district leaders that also kind of wanted to have input. And we found um, compromises. But it was challenging because some of the things that some people in the state wanted were really, really restrictive, and and some of the um, companies just couldn't agree to those things, and so we had to negotiate and have some back and forth. In the individual districts, like, so if we aren't in the business of um, every single tool that's out there that a teacher might want to use, having a data sharing agreements for them, um, the districts were making their own choices in that arena. and so uh, it depended on the district, right? What was in that language and how strict they were. And that's the challenging thing about this law too, right? You have every district interpreting that law in their own way with varying degrees of um, strictness, you know? And um, you know, lawyers just are going to say, well, this is what I think it means. And another lawyer is gonna say, that's what I think it means. And so that put us in a difficult position because I'm not a lawyer, I'm just a teacher. I'm just a teacher who has figured out how to put structures and policies in place, and I come from that that viewpoint of, I, I actually told the districts, I said, if I were one of your teachers, I'm going to use technology, and I need you to protect me for myself. But the districts all interpret it differently, so that made it very hard for us to provide advice. And as somebody who is not a lawyer, and so and they are not our clients, we can't give legal advice. So it's this tough position of saying, here's what I would do, here's what some other districts have done, here's some general things that you need to consider, but if this district is interpreting it very strictly and this one is not, I, you know, that's really their decision. Has the law been enforced? 
like since 2014. So no one has been put in jail or fined, thankfully. I'm very thankful for that because I consider that kind of one of my jobs is to help people out and make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, I think, I am not a lawyer, <laughs> but I think that it would have to be a district attorney wanting to take that on probably. I don't know. I, I'm not a lawyer. But, um, you know, it's criminal charges, mm -hmm. and so I think that's a whole different animal than any other experience that other states have. And so, no, no one has gotten in trouble. Would you say that just the fear of consequences that they could get in trouble has stifled some sort of innovation or adoption of technology at some of the districts? I, I don't know. I, 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 um, I'm of the belief that um, innovation and student privacy aren't mutually exclusive that you can provide structures in place where you can protect kids' privacy and continue to have innovation. And I think that's the place where we are today in this world, right? Because we need innovation. We need um, that deeper understanding, that deeper learning, that creativity um, to go on with our students so that they can have enhanced learning experiences where they can have deeper learning. Um, but we also have to protect kids' privacy because of the day and age that we're in. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive. However, I do think that in the beginning people were fearful and it probably pulled things back. And now as we find a, found a path forward, I'm a little concerned, honestly, that we might be swinging a little bit too far to the other pendulum where it's been a while and people are comfortable. Um, so I think it's always this balancing act, right? Um, of making sure you find that place in the middle where you still have innovation and you still have that structure in place for privacy. Um, but I think I think Louise, Louisiana people are doing pretty good. I think they're figuring out how to do it and do it well. So obviously this is one of the most restrictive privacy laws in the country. Um, on a more positive note, how has that changed the way that student data privacy is thought about and handled in the state? Like. Do you see educators in Louisiana being more thoughtful about this than maybe those in other states? Absolutely. I think that's one of the benefits of the law, right? So there's this part that makes it hard and challenging, but there's this other side of it where um, I was doing data governance and privacy before the law came about, and it was a struggle to get anyone to care. Like, people didn't even know what FERPA was. They didn't care. Um, I mean, they care about students, but they didn't understand this movement that has come across the nation has truly made a difference, I think, for everyone in the sense that last several years that has caused us all to be more cognizant of um, keeping our information private, protecting ourselves from identity theft, and, you know, cybersecurity attacks are, are an increase for educational institutions. Last year, um, USDOE put out, like, warnings and information. So kids' information is very valuable. They don't have a credit history yet, right? They're like this blank slate, and it's going to be a long time before they're ever found out because they're young and they're not going to be even entering into this credit world until they're later. So there's this period of time. And so from everything I've read, it's very valuable. And so I think that this law has helped us all become very, very aware and has caused us to think about something. Do I think maybe it was a little too strict in certain areas or challenging to work with? Absolutely. 
But do I think the benefit of protecting kids' data is there? Absolutely. This has been the Ed Surge On Air podcast. Each week, we feature conversations like this one. So please subscribe to keep up with future episodes. You can support the show by taking a minute to tell us how we're doing with a rating or review. This episode was edited by me, Emily Tate, and produced by Nate Secchi. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education. Thanks for listening. <laughs>